You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. The picture-perfect life. It looks like a great goal, but it always becomes a burden. Nobody's perfect. We all know that when we think about it. Felix Hernandez can preach, uh, can pitch a... (laughs) We got to bring Felix in here sometime. (laughs) He can pitch a perfect game, but he plays in a game in which the best of players fail two out of three times. Tiger Woods can hit a perfect golf shot, but if you were watching Augusta last weekend, you saw Fred Ridley... The head judge said, there are a lot of people out there that know a lot about the rules. And uh, Tiger, as it happened, dropped his ball in the wrong place. And somebody text messages into the tournament to say he broke a rule there. And a day later, he was uh, penalized two strokes. Nobody's perfect. And when we think about it, we really are smart enough to understand that the pursuit of perfection can really eat away at our lives. It's just not helpful. This week I found myself running early in the morning as I often do and I looked up the path ahead and I saw a woman dressed in purple and gold. She was tall and she was fit. As I approached her, I saw her draw a line in the gravel with her foot. Then she dropped her shoulders and sprang up the path ahead of me. She ran for about 10 seconds and she then uh, started to slow down and loop back and She drew another line in the sand about 20 feet behind where she had started to slow down. She looked at her stopwatch and she walked back. And I created a whole story around this woman. Uh, Not really knowing her or what she was doing, I thought to myself, I bet she's a track runner for the UW and I bet she's been injured and I bet she's trying to make a comeback and I bet she's not training at the track because she's a little bit embarrassed lest anybody find out that she really does dream of making this comeback and she's training out here in the dirt. And I remember my own training experiences in time in which I beat myself into perfection and injured myself as an oarman and the, how the, uh, the pursuit of perfection was not a happy pursuit in my own life. And when we put this ideal in front of ourselves, we find it eating up our worthiness. We find it discouraging ourselves again and again. We find it restricting ourselves. It, it, we tend to compare our weaknesses with other people's strengths. And so in social situations, a perfection will keep us immobilized. At work, a perfection will keep us uh, from taking risks or taking on tasks. Or some of us know what it's like to get writer's block Uh, Because the idea isn't yet perfect enough. Perfection will um, hurt us at so-called health clubs when we work out again and again to the detriment of our body trying to achieve some image that uh, God hasn't given us in our particular uh, uh, physique. Uh, Likewise, sometimes we will withhold needed nutrients uh, in the search of the same kind of ideal uh, physique, Perfection can become a great burden to our children because they know very well the standard that we're demanding of them even if we don't use the words. As parents, when we look at our life and we sense our own failures, perfection is the thing that makes us think we didn't do well. The truth is we did. I want to ask you two questions this morning as we begin. Why do we pursue perfection? 
if we know all this? What about you? Why do you pursue perfection? And the second question is, why would Jesus seem to encourage it? If you've read the Sermon on the Mount before, you know that Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I, as the preacher, go, oh, no, don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that. It's something of an embarrassment. Why would he do that? Well, I want to ask you to consider that phrase in your own life together as we look at Matthew chapter 5, the very next section in the Sermon on the Mount. Would you open up your Bible and... We're going to actually read two sections here. We're going to open up here to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. That's our first reading. And then our second reading, we'll just jump all the way down to the end of the chapter, verse 48, because I really have in mind the whole of uh, this section from verse 17 down to 48. But we'll just read uh, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, and then skip to verse 48. You'll find this on page 786 of the Pew Bible. If you're able, would you stand with me and let's read God's word aloud together. Now, I want you to read carefully. Remember, I told you last week that we have a tendency to focus on the sermon and lose sight of the Savior. So let's look for who Jesus Christ is as we read this text together. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now jump with me down to verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. After college, a couple years out, I um, began to pore over a certain set of pictures. This was the pre-Facebook day, uh, back when a picture was a piece of waxy paper that people put in um, things called books or albums. And... uh, I was working in campus ministry at the time, working with a number of college students in New England, and over the summer, they would do much as our students are about to do. They'd go on a summer, we'd call a summer deputation trip. And uh, a group of the students that I was working with went on a deputation program to the Soviet Union. And they had a great experience, and when they came back, they had pictures and stories to tell, and several of them shared these pictures with me, and and they would say, you know, here's a, uh, a picture of Oleg and Sasha and Kirill and uh, Alexander. And, um, and I'd say, hmm, but who's that one? And they would say, oh, that one. This is a, a woman named Anne. She's the best. 
she works uh, at Smith and Mount Holyoke, and she's the leader of our mission trip. And I thought, oh, hmm, she, I don't know what they mean by she's the best, but uh, I, I can see she's something pretty wonderful. And so I said, show me some more of your pictures of Russia. <laughs> and they would show me pictures, and I would see pictures of uh, the Kremlin and Anne, and uh, pictures of Gorky Park and Anne, pictures of Stalin in metal and Anne. And the students began to see just how interested I was in overseas missions. <laughs> the pictures of Anne were perfect, but for me, they weren't enough. Seeing these pictures set me on a trajectory. Would it be possible for me to get to know the person within the picture? Could I know who she is, everything about her? Could she know me? Would there be a place for me in these pictures? And of course, this question made me very nervous because I'd heard so many wonderful things about this person that I thought, surely I wouldn't fit into those pictures. I wouldn't be good enough to stand with this great woman, breaker of horses and breaker of hearts. <laughs> Am I good enough? Well, I, 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 I was going to take the risk to find out. And so... Uh, I sent her a letter, which is a piece of paper that the federal government takes to <laughs> somebody else's house. And in this letter, I said, Dear Ann Unsinger, my name is George Hinman, and um, I have just come across this very interesting book on overseas mission. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to read it with me and then correspond. And she did, and I won't bore you with the substance of that correspondence that fall, but back and forth we wrote these things called letters. And when Christmas came, I found myself at the same conference with this Anne. And I'll never forget the adrenaline rush I felt when the crowds parted and we made eye contact and there was a smile on her face. And this person walked towards me. She shot out her arm. She has this way with a stiff arm, gave me a, a really hard handshake up and down, and she said, George Hinman, you are the best. <laughs> and I just melted. <laughs> I want to tell you, um, that woman, Ann Hunsinger, became my wife, uh, Ann Hinman. And now, I'm in the picture. And I thought, <laughs> I would show you this. There it is. Who says I'm not stylish? <laughs> well, I tell you that story for two reasons. First of all, it's cheaper than flowers. <laughs> and second of all, I want to help you understand what Jesus is saying when he says you should be perfect. Would you look with me at verse 17? Jesus says, I have come to fulfill. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. I have come to fulfill. Quick word study. That word fulfill in the Greek is the same word. Its root meaning is really just fill. Fill, to fill something. It's really to put the real thing inside of the thing that by itself is just not helpful. Like you'd pour something into a bucket or think about pouring coffee into a, a coffee mug. It, you'd be filling the coffee mug 
if you put the liquid in. And, and the, the mug's not that helpful without the liquid, is it? I mean, your, your co-worker's not going to be very happy. You say, do you want a coffee cup? Here's a coffee cup in the morning. You won't be happy either, by the way. Uh, but if you say, do you want a cup of coffee, then they're happy because you fill the cup. The cup by itself, not that helpful. Same thing like a, a prescription. We talk about fulfilling a prescription. The piece of paper, not that helpful with the uh, bacteria inside of you. The bacteria don't tend to respect the prescription. Uh, but you go to the pharmacy and you ask, would you fulfill the prescription? And the pharmacist, she'll give you uh, back some medicine. And now the purpose of the prescription has been fulfilled and the bacteria will respect that. So to fulfill is to put the real thing inside the thing that by itself is not helpful. Matthew uses this word all over the place. It's a favorite phrase for him. It usually occurs in a sentence like this. This was to fulfill what had been spoken. Again and again, he'll present us with quotations from the Old Testament. More than any other of the gospel writers, Matthew quotes the Old Testament. And he'll also tell stories. And he'll say this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord or by the prophet or in the scriptures. And so when he gives us this picture of Jesus standing on the Sermon on the Mount, now after having blessed the crowds, he says, first thing, I want you to know, I have come to fulfill the law or the prophets, which is their way of speaking about the Old Testament, by the way. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to take anything away from the law or the prophets. I'm not taking anything away from the Old Testament. They're good pictures. They're great pictures. They're pictures of perfection. But I have come to fulfill those pictures. The pictures by themselves will not do you any good. But me, but I, the one who has come to fulfill, you see, I am the real thing, the one who's standing right there in front of you. I, for you, am the fulfillment of all of these pictures. You have to look for the person. He's saying, you have to find me. This week was a discouraging week for all of us in some ways. I mean, the news was horrible, wasn't it? In Boston and Texas and Washington, D.C. And it was a hard week for me, and I found myself discouraged. And I won't get into the personal stuff for me at the moment, except to tell you one story, because I had a bike accident this week, which I think is really ironic, right after I told you that story last week of how irresponsible I can be when I go down hills. And I'm fine, but the bike is not. Uh, Wednesday night, late night, I was riding back from the church, and uh, I just almost totaled my bike. And uh, so the handlebars bent and the wheels wobbling, and, I, and it was late, and I didn't want to call Ann, so I rode it home. It was still serviceable, but it was on this wheel, and, and I was bumping and bobbing and, and all, all the way home on the Burke Gilman Trail, and I thought to myself, this is kind of the way my life works, actually. I got philosophical again. And, you know, I got home, and I was staying there. Anne was walking the dog. It was dark, a drizzly rain. We're staying there, and she, she encouraged me. She said, in essence, George, George Hinman, you're the best. You're the best. And it worked. I found encouragement. Now, I wouldn't have found that encouragement if I'd gone down to the basement and dug up these old pictures. But the person, the person who was the fulfillment of those images had the power and the capacity to lift my spirits this is what Jesus is saying he has for you. Jesus knows that you're not perfect, but he knows that he can look you in the eyes, stand before you, and say, beloved, you're the best. Jesus can say that to you. He can say it to you this morning, if you'll listen. Why? 
Because Jesus has fulfilled all of the rules, all of them, for you. Jesus has in himself embodied perfection for you. And he's all the perfection that I or you ever need. I take it as a, as, a, as a corollary. If Jesus says, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets, that he doesn't expect us to fulfill the law or the prophets. If he says to you, I'm perfect, I fulfilled it for you, he's not expecting you to be perfect. And you say, well, wait a minute, George, Jesus seems to come with a bucket of his own rules, doesn't he? I mean, read the rest of chapter 5. There's all this you've heard that was said, but I say to you, and he talks about anger and adultery and divorce and oaths and retaliation. Yeah, he does. Yeah, there are rules there, but these are just more pictures. Jesus has his pictures the Old Testament has its pictures, and you have your pictures. All of them, rules that describe the perfect life, but Jesus wants you to know before he gives you those rules, he just says, you're not going to obey all these rules. I know that. I fulfilled them for you. You don't need the pictures. You need the person. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, says, Jesus has nothing to add to the commandments of God except this, that he keeps them. Even as I speak, someone is breaking commandments. <laughs> but Jesus says it's okay because I've kept them. I've kept them. I've kept them for you. This is the Savior on the Mount. I've told you as we read this story together, this sermon together, I'm going to engage you with two questions every week. Who and how? Who is the Savior? Because I think we miss him. And I want to answer that question now. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all the rules. That's who he is. Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. Romans 5, 19, the apostle Paul compares Jesus to the first Adam, calling Paul the second Adam, because through the first Adam's disobedience, all humanity suffers, but through the second Adam's obedience all of humanity will be blessed. He writes, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The many will be made righteous. And you see, this is the greater righteousness of which Jesus speaks in verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, this is a greater righteousness because it's his righteousness. The difference between the scribe and the disciple is that the scribe tries to relate directly, immediately to the rules. The disciple relates indirectly to the rules. The, the Savior stands between the disciple and her rules. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all the rules. That's who he is. Now how? How? How does the Savior invite us to good news? Well, this is what I want you to take home this morning. Look for the person, not perfection. Look for the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in your life, not the perfection. And to do this, you're going to have to do two things. First, you're going to have to surrender your idea of perfection. And I know this is very hard for some of us recovering perfectionists. We're going to have to surrender it. It really shouldn't be hard because when we look at our past and see how imperfect it is, we, we're tended to be discouraged. When we think about the challenges of, of the present, we find ourselves, when we measure our lives according to perfection, very insecure. When we look to the future, 
This perfectionism will keep us living in fear, paralyze us. Let me ask you some questions as you try to surrender your idea of perfection. Who expects you to be perfect? Who in your life expects you to be perfect? And there are people, and maybe you're one of them. Secondly, where are you demanding perfection? In your own life or in the lives of others? Where are you demanding perfection? And then third, what happens if you give your imperfections to Jesus? What happens if you were just to say, "Ah, I'm not perfect, grieve it, and move on? I want to give you a little liturgy here for a moment. You know how in Easter we say Christ is risen and we say he's risen indeed? Here's another one to add to that. Uh, Good enough, that's the first part. And the second part is, is good enough. Will you do that with me? Okay, I'm going to say good enough and you're going to say is good enough. Good enough. Good enough. 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 Do you believe that yet? You and I need to believe that. Good enough is good enough by definition. I'm not talking about quitting or mediocrity. We can still pursue excellence. In fact, when we pursue a person and we do so in response to his love for us, we're going to pursue more excellence, not less. Surrender perfection. The second thing we need to do is to pursue the real person of Jesus. Look with me now finally at verse 48. Here's our pernicious verse as we understand it. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Greek word for perfect is teleos. And it doesn't mean to have no flaws. Teleos, like telescope, describes the end, the purpose or the goal of, of something. It's a trajectory. And it doesn't, and it, it doesn't describe a current state. It just decides where we're headed. When the word teleos is used in the present, present, it means complete. Complete. Be complete, therefore, as your heavenly Father is complete. You might ask yourself, in what sense is the Heavenly Father complete? Well, the Heavenly Father is complete in the humanity of Jesus. Now he has what he wants, relationship with humanity. And you and I may be complete in the divinity of Jesus. Now you and I may have what we desperately need, even if we don't want, and that is perfect relationship with a God who loves us indestructibly. Some of you have nothing more than a Facebook faith. Faith for you means interacting with a bunch of pictures of what life should look like. God's rules, God's laws, your own rules, the rules of people around you, maybe even church people. But they're just pictures. And there's no person yet. You've got to pursue the person of Jesus Christ. He's alive and he's available to you. This week in Boston, we saw so many pictures. There were pictures of real pain and trauma Very discouraging pictures. But we also saw and have heard stories of real people giving witness to the grace of God as they ran towards disaster, as they jeopardized their own safety in order to make safe others. And it reminded me of a story that you may remember. Back in 1992, in the Barcelona Olympics, there was a runner named Derek Redmond from Great Britain. Derek Redmond had broken the 400-meter record in Great Britain, 19 years old. He was a brilliant runner. Only four years earlier in Seoul, he had just 10 minutes before the start of the 400, 
had to withdraw with uh, an injured Achilles tendon, and it wasn't going to happen in Barcelona. He had worked so hard, and there he was. His father, Jim, was up in the stadium, very top row, as it turned out, and it was time for the 400. The gun went off, and uh, Derek Redmond went sprinting around that first corner. Almost immediately, he broke out of the pack, and you could see his brilliance as he, as he, just like a gazelle, stride after stride, began to pull away. And then all of a sudden, pop, his Achilles tendon just blew out on him. And he started to hop on one leg as he slowed down, and he fell face down on the track. The other runners continued, and the race was over, as were his Olympic dreams. He was crying with tears running down his face. But the uh, games weren't over for Derek, so he decided to get up. He got up, and he began to hop again, and he stumbled, and he crawled, and he got up again, and he began to hop. People were ready for the next race, and they looked down, and they saw this man still on the track. Some of the stands began to cheer. and They started to rise to their feet. And from the upper stands, Jim Redmond, Derek's father, began to run through the crowds, jumping over um, bleachers, made his way down to the wall, leaped over the wall, broke through the security barrier, and he said, that's my son down there. Nothing's going to stop me from helping him. Ran out, met him just around the final corner, and he gave him his arm. And father and son finished that race to a standing ovation. I want to tell you, that is not a perfect race, but it's a glorious race. And that's what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. He's left the heavenly bleachers. He's broken through the securities, run onto the track to take you in his arms and say, we are going to finish this thing together. You have a person in your life, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's going to get you to the finish line. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we reach out because we know that you're reaching out to us. Take us by the hand. Lift us up. Lord, uh, we're haunted by these images of perfection in our lives. So let us hear your word today that you fulfill them all and that we don't need them anymore, but we need you. Thank you that you're alive within us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to give us strength and power for the life that you want us to have, to take us, to take us to the fulfillment of our purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.